Welcome to another episode of Microshiner's Life Distilled. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Comida. Comida is a Mexican restaurant in Denver and its sister location in Aurora, Colorado. Comida actually started as a food truck and they're pushing out these heavenly tacos out of their truck. And now they have two restaurants. So you got to hand it to them. They're doing something right. Let me tell you, these these tacos are not only heavenly, they are delicious. So next time you're in the Denver area, check out Comida and get some authentic Mexican food. All right. But in this episode of the podcast, I found myself in Boulder, Colorado. I was actually there for my bachelor party. Yeah. Anyway, we'll touch base on that later. But I hung out with Alistair Brogan and Ted Palmer, and then I even brought on a good buddy of mine who happens to be a wine educator in Saint-Moyer named Joseph Laker. He knows his way around some spirits as well. So all four of us sat down and tasted some of Vapor Distillery's fantastic spirits, learned about Alistair's story from Scotland, and you'll, you'll, know, you'll know which one's Alistair by the accent. And we tasted some of their brand new American single malt whiskeys. And let me tell you, they are going to be giving Scotland a run for their money because this, is, this single malt is maybe one of the best things I've put in my mouth. And I put a lot of stuff in my mouth, ladies and gentlemen. So sit back, relax, grab a sip, and learn about some American single malts. Cheers. <laughs> Welcome to Life Distilled. Here we explore the world of craft spirits and introduce you to the people and products that are making this world a better place, one small batch at a time. It is Zen and the art of micro distillation, your window into craft culture and your connection to the makers, creators, achievers, and thought leaders who are charting a path forward, cocktail in hand. This is Life Distilled. All right, welcome to another episode of Microshiner's Life Distilled. I'm Brian. I'm here today at Vapor Distillery with an old friend, Joe Laker. Um, and we'll get into his story and why he's here in a bit. But I'm also here with Alistair and Ted, who are the head distiller and head distiller. So let's get into your guys' roles first. Uh, Alistair, introduce yourself and just tell me what you do here and why you're here. Well, I'm Alistair Brogan. Uh, as you probably recognize my accent, I'm actually not from Colorado, I'm from Scotland. I moved over to Colorado six years ago uh, with my wife, who's an American, Pennsylvania and laterally Florida, and my two young boys who were actually born in Scotland and now raised as proper American boys. And I had this ambition to start making American single malt whiskey. So I brought with me a Forsyth's Copper Pot Still. Forsyth's are the only company in the world that makes Copper Pot Stills for the Scotch whiskey industry. The Azure have got their own uh, coppersmiths uh, called Abercrombies, but this uh, Richard Forsyth is the only one that makes these Copper Pot Stills. And there's only maybe two or three in the US at the moment. So I brought the Copper Pot Still over with me and I was looking for a location. Um, my background was uh, from Glasgow. I joined the military. I was in the Air Force for 10 years. 
came out, joined a business for 15 years, and then sold my business in 2009, and I arrived here in 2011. So my ambition was to make single malt, American single malt whiskey. I looked for a location, could not find a location in Boulder County whatsoever. Very, very difficult to set up a distillery in Boulder County. Uh, the land's, land is very scarce and there's lots of rules. So I met Ted uh, probably about five years ago. I went around every distillery in Colorado, met every owner, spoke to every owner. And when Ted and I started speaking, he actually asked me to come in and start bottling. So I started bottling, we got to know each other, I became a minority investor in, in, in uh, uh, as it was, Roundhouse, before it was called Vapor Distillery. Right, and right. I remember that, yeah, it was Roundhouse before. It was at Roundhouse, we had a, a trademark issue, as a lot of distilleries yeah. have had or will have in the future. Right. Uh, so we, that's when I got involved. Okay. Ted, let's hear your story. Uh, so I got this thing started up back in October 2007. Uh, our first products were the gin and the coffee liqueur. Uh, it was hard going uh, during the recession, but uh, pulled it through. Uh, and then, like uh, Elster said, we had some uh, trademark issues, and that scared off all of my uh, investors. And I brought Alistair in, which was a great match for us. Uh, and then the rest is what they say is history. So when he brought in his still, uh, we immediately started uh, focusing on making the whiskeys, uh, some bourbon and American single malt whiskey, uh, three flavors, uh, a regular American oak, all new oak, uh, and then a peated version, as well as a uh, port finish. Very cool. Excellent. Okay. Um, now, thank you, gentlemen. I'm going to chat Joe. So. I normally don't do this also, everyone. I uh, usually do this by myself, but I brought Joe. He's a really close friend of mine from California. He's also a certified wine educator. So Joe, talk about your background a little bit, just so why you're here. Who's this guy? Who's this guy with the beard who's on the camera? I mean, I, I love all forms of uh, alcohol, I guess, and very crudely put, but um, I used to live in the Midwest and started studying to become a Certified wine educator and a sommelier, I started making wine myself. Ended up moving out to Sonoma County, become a winemaker out there, uh, where I met you. Um, and um, I guess I was a little tired of um, making my wine and aging it, you know, two years in in barrel and another year in bottle. And um, three years was too long for me, so I started distilling. Um, so what I could do and you know, instead of three years, I could do it in three weeks. Right. Um, and I just, I just fell in love with it. So. Yeah, yeah. That's uh, it's. So you guys might be wondering, well, who is this this guy with the beard? Anyway, I uh, we taste a lot of stuff. I taste a lot of lot of lot of different spirits whenever I do these. And uh, Joe has an amazing palate. So sometimes, I always want to know what he can maybe bring to the table that I don't. And maybe he picks up different things as well. So I'm excited for him to taste as well, because. Um, Sometimes I might butcher things, you know? So anyway, uh, but okay. Well, do you guys want to get into something and taste some stuff first? Yeah, well. Um, whatever you, whatever you want to start with. Yeah, we'll start um, with our, our Boulder Spirits range. We've got our bourbon, we've got our barley gin, we've got our gin and we've got our vodka. And that makes up this sort of Boulder range of our, our products. Um, we just successfully with our bourbon got a double gold at the 
San Francisco uh, International Spirits. We just got 96 from the Beverage Tasting Institute for our, our barley's gin and then 93 for our gin. So we've won some great, great awards uh, for these spirits. But I'd like to then start, uh, we'll actually start with the gin because it's really okay. interesting to see how the gin, going from the gin, uh, the clear gin onto the barley's gin really uh, shows Okay. Uh, what comes out of the barrel? Now, I uh, I was doing my I was doing my research, um, and you guys had the rock gin. This is not the rock gin. No. No. Okay. This is not that recipe. Okay. Cheers. Well, it's very very close. Yeah. Okay. Uh, they made a few tweaks, uh, especially with the coriander levels. Yeah. Uh, but for m most people's palates, they can't tell the difference. It's just a little smoother. It's got less of that uh, bitterness that uh, you can get from using too much coriander. Okay, nice. So this gin is at 94 proof. Uh, it's uh, got 11 organic botanicals. They're all organic for a really great reason. The gin hangover. Right. Uh, cheap gin, you know, you're, you're drinking a, a yeah. martini and halfway through it, the tip of your nose starts to go numb. A lot yeah. of people think, oh, I'm getting drunk really fast. No, you're being poisoned by pesticides. Wow. Uh, so only organic uh, for us. Uh, we try to use organic wherever we can in our process, yeah. but we can't always do that. But with our gin, it, all the botanicals are organic. Uh, so it's a new Western style. We're really low on the juniper levels. Right. Uh, that allows all of our other ingredients to really shine through. Uh, but it's very balanced. Uh, you'll find that it's it's not going to smack you upside the head with the juniper or any of the other ingredients. You're not going to go, oh, that's a really big lavender bomb, or oh, that's really big, whatever. Right. Uh, it's, it's a little different. That is. That's really that's really nice. Then they get the co the coriander. But it, um, and it's not it's not as hot as you think like ninety four proof you know it doesn't doesn't come across that and what is navy strength again what does it start at one hundred and fourteen one hundred and fourteen that's right okay yeah. cool are you guys uh, considering like coast guard strength yeah, yeah this is coast guard well do you strength. know where <laughs> well do you know where ninety four where one one four comes from yes right okay yeah the I story always, it's so good yeah. no yeah let's let's hear it so okay so navy strength gin quick story. Maybe correct me if I mix something. Go. Has to be at 114 proof because the Navy sailors, in case something, a barrel of gin fell over or spilt and got on the gunpowder, uh, the gunpowder still had to ignite. So that's why it's 114 proof. As opposed to if it was anything less, the gunpowder wouldn't go off, right? Spot on. Spot on. Good. Spot yes. On. I learned that story not too long ago, and I was so yeah. like... That's so good. And how, how the Navy would prove that traders weren't underselling the proof right. was to actually do that to see if gunpowder wow. actually lit. So if it lit, then bring your gin on board. Cool. If it didn't light, you've, you're, you're fiddling as, yeah. uh, with underproof uh, gin. Mm -hmm. Really great story. No, that's, this is For great. me, the gin, I, I was never really a big gin drinker, but for me, uh, too much juniper was yeah. overpowering for me. Yeah. Two parts juniper, one part coriander just too much. So this brings back the juniper a lot. What we're finding is there's a lot of people who maybe have had these bad experiences with gins or don't like that overpowering juniper are almost going back. Right. One of the fun things about this is that you're introducing, I, we do tours and we no, I don't like gin. Well, just taste this, see what this looks. Yeah. And a lot of people are converting back to gin. No, that's, that's fantastic stuff. It's really good. Um, yeah, let me finish that. 
so Ted, while we're uh, pouring, oh, he's okay, running. Not he's quite. <laughs> but uh, so uh, I can help out real quick. What do you get? What do you get? What do you get, Joe? Do you pick up all that the coriander? You can the love the corner. How do you think? Oh, definitely. I mean, it, you know, the juniper does take a back seat to yeah. it, and uh, but it's very balanced and now, very well made. Yeah. Uh, sorry, I. It's funny about the pesticide thing because you never think about that in coming through in alcohol, using organic uh, herbs as opposed to you know non-organic stuff, because I mean, I, just because we are in Colorado and the cannabis industry and all that stuff, pesticides are such a main concern with you know cannabis products these days and uh, the parts per billion, parts per million, all that stuff that's happening. It's uh, it's it's fascinating, and I'm I'm glad that you're taking it to that level with spirits too, because some people don't. And it's just like people brush that aside and they go, it's alcohol. Everything's fine. It's just alcohol. Stuff's going to be, it's going to kill itself or whatever. Any bacteria or anything bad. But uh, yeah. Anyway, yeah, well, I applaud you. That's distillation awesome. process. You're, you're concentrating these flavors, right? That means you're concentrating pesticides as well. Mm -hmm. So you, you might have uh, some ingredients that are kind of low in pesticides, but after you've distilled them, they're really high. Yeah, no, Very that's high. that's quality control that I that I get behind that I back. Okay. No, I was curious as far as the uh, the gin. Are you taking your main vodka and then steeping it? Or are you running it? Ooh. Yes, distilling it's a, it through um, any sort of. It's a, a neutral spirit maceration. So okay. uh, we're doing a uh, overnight maceration of all of our botanicals in the pot. And then we distill the next day. And then you just do you distill through the botanicals as well. Yeah, everything goes right into the pot. We don't have a basket. No, okay, that's what I was asking. Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, all right, what's next? So the next one is our barrel aged gin. Okay, I rinsed mine out. So the barrel aged gin, ginsky, which is a whole play on gin and whiskey right uh, but this is a gin all we do to this is we take our our, our our boulder gin we put it in a new american oak barrel number three char number two or three char and then we leave it for two years so it's pretty extreme most of the barrel is gin in the market gins in the market tend to be six months and maybe ex-bourbon so they're more gin forward this is two years in a new american oak barrel and and we can touch on this later, the maturation in Colorado uh, is pretty extreme because it swings in temperature in the very, very hot uh, summers that we have. So um, we've been doing this, uh, when did you start doing this, Ted? Uh, 2011. And we keep on, it used to be before the trademark issue, uh, uh, Imperial Barley's Gin, and we've won the world's best at the uh, World Gin Awards a couple of times this year with the best in North America, 96 points at the Bevis Tasting. It's spectacular and it's one of our, certainly for our cocktails, it's our best selling co cocktails with our barley gin is our best selling cocktail. Excellent. No, it's, uh, it deserves those awards. That is fantastic. How, how long, I'm sorry, how long do you age it for? Two years. Two years. In a 53 gallon barrel. That's it, awesome. New barrels. We don't okay. use used barrels here at all. Okay. That's, no, that's, that's awesome too. Again attention to detail quality um so what were you you were talking about how hard it is to open a distillery in boulder county why is that uh, i'll tell you okay <laughs> marijuana oh yeah yeah really? uh, they've taken up 
all of the industrial warehouse spaces uh, okay. and has driven up uh, rents incredibly. Uh, so there's, there's no spare space anywhere in town. Wow. Uh, if you hop on a bicycle and ride around town, all you smell is skunk. It's yeah. everywhere. Uh, so if you're trying to find a place to build a brewery or distillery or any other thing, hmm. you have to contend with these very, very rich marijuana growers. Wow. I, uh, I really didn't think about that, honestly. I mean, we kind of ran into that into the area where some from California just recently went wreck as well. So, and we were looking to getting moving into a bigger photography studio and, uh, it was so hard. It was really, it's challenging. So what we wound up doing is just, uh, knocking a wall down and took, took over two units. So it worked, but anyway, uh, <laughs> that's, uh, yeah, I never, anyway, well, this is a very nice space you have here. This is, this is very cool. Thank so, you. um, but, uh, and you guys have bars here. You could do cocktails here. Some states you can't even do that. Every state's different. Yeah. Uh, I think um, one of the reasons why the laws have been changed here in Colorado is our ex-governor, Hickenlooper, uh, owned a brewery. So he certainly had a, an interest to move the, move the legislation, uh, a, a wee bit more modern legis legislation. Here in Colorado, we're allowed two tasting rooms, so we're allowed two licenses. We're allowed to only sell our own products, so we can't add a sweet vermouth or a Campari or anything like Got that. It. We have to be incredibly creative in what we do. And, and okay. I think a lot of the states, they've got their own tasting rooms, it's exactly the same. So yeah. you're finding a really interesting um, creativity in a lot of the cocktails uh -huh. that are coming out of the distilleries. Yeah. So we run this, again, it's a tasting room. Mm -hmm. It's for here to try and showcase our, our products. We're not like a brewery where it's very, very busy because it's, you know, there's a lot of people drinking beer. You know, spirits is a wee bit uh, less popular than beer or maybe even wine. Uh -huh. um, so yeah, we keep this this going. It's, it's good. It can get really busy in here. That's good. That's that's cool. So um, do you uh, do you try to offer create your own bitters or? Um, well, we have well, our own in-house brand. It's called Cocktail Punk, and uh, it's it was a local brand that uh, we bought. Uh, brought it in and uh, have increased its sales dramatically. Uh, bitters are really turning into the new awesome. thing uh, all across the country. Everybody's yeah. trying to get into it, and luckily we're at the front. Okay. Uh, we have 12 different flavors. Three of them are seasonal, uh, made from uh, Colorado Palisade peaches and cherries and uh, California grapefruit. Okay. Uh, our newest flavor is Colorado lavender. Uh, which is really very nice for cocktails. Uh, and uh, uh, it's growing so fast, we had to buy a new bottling line just to keep up with the, yeah. the demand. You're, you're the punk out of the two? Uh, <laughs> growing up, that was my, my music was, Wait, was what punk. What are you saying I am then? <laughs> he, he was a metalhead. But uh, we've, we've got, we've got um, a great guy who runs this for us, uh, Ray Sneed, and he's been uh, developing these over the, the last few years with some great restaurants like Frasca in, in Boulder and uh, Oak in 13th. So he's created it. The big difference that our, ours is that uh, it's, a, it's 100 proof in these bitters. Nice. So um, we use the alcohol for the extraction. We don't use uh, glycerol or any yeah. artificial uh, extractors. Good. And so it's doing really, really well. Again, we try and stick to uh, as much organic as we possibly can. 
uh, but sometimes difficult to get that or having it certified. Uh, yeah. it's going, this, this side of it is going really well. We're, we're, we're expanding our distribution. We're in about 10 states now and okay. people are taking it a wee bit more seriously. Yeah. Very cool. That's awesome. No, it's bitters are so fun to make and to mess around with. Yeah, and integral in all different facets of co make cocktail making. Yeah, yeah. So, they're um, basically just compounded gin. That's what they are. Yeah. Very so cool. That's awesome. right up my alley. Yeah. All right. Um, do you want to move on to the bourbon? Yeah, well, just to finish the, the, the barley. Okay, yeah, yeah. Um, what we're finding this is our number one seller as far as cocktails. And there's some, we've got some great following with this. It is the type of spirit that people are really intrigued with. They want to taste it before they buy it. Uh, but once they're starting to buy it, we're finding we're getting a great niche here in Colorado. We just opened in Texas and Illinois. And they are, Texas especially, really excited for this to go into the into the, the sort of premium cocktail bars because you can do a lot with this. You can drink it as a whiskey or, for example, a Negroni uh, or just a splash of ginger beer. Martinez is my favorite. Oh, yeah. Martinez, yeah. Ugh. Yeah, I was uh, recently in Amsterdam, drank a lot of uh, your neighbors. They're different, though, in terms of, like, how they're produced and aged. But uh, it's, yeah, anyway. I don't know how that segues into barrel aged gin. Uh, I should just stop. But <laughs> so right. speaking, speaking of, have you as uh, is the name Jinski trademarked? Yes. yes. Awesome. <laughs> awesome. We uh, did have a little issue because there's 50 surnames in the United States. 50 with the name Jinski. Right. So, w Jinski with an E Y. Once we've got well, <laughs> well, we couldn't we couldn't we trademark couldn't that because of uh, a certain vodka brand. Yeah. Oh, who wow. actually protested when we tried to do that. And they, we then put the E in, we, we tried to do both. Mm -hmm. And they, they were okay with that. Uh, but how that works, I still don't I right. can't figure out. But That's cool. uh, trademark issues has been a, a real, and I think a lot of distilleries overlook trademark, trademarks. Uh, yeah. Okay, so. But yeah, there does seem to be a, a few people maybe that are trying to jump onto that uh, barrel-aged gin as well, but. Everybody that's making gin has figured out they can buy a barrel and, and start barrel-aging it, and then they have a second uh, uh, skew to put on their, their uh, cell sheets. Very nice. So this is our Boulder bourbon. Okay. Um, our Boulder bourbon really is unique compared to what's on the market at the moment. Uh, bourbon, 51% corn. But what we do is we put 44% malted barley. Okay. So it's incredibly extreme. Uh, the most that we've seen is maybe five stroke 10% malted barley. But we decided because we're making our single malt whiskies is to up that malted barley, be very different, be very unique, and 5% um, rye. And what, what we've created is something which is very, very smooth, which is also part of the distillation process. Yeah. but also something that has got hints of what you would normally expect from uh, a single malt whiskey. So it has some of those sort of fruity notes that you would uh, not really expect in a bourbon. So um, it's, it's been received incredibly well. It starts off sweet, but it, it ends a little drier on the palate. Uh, and that small amount of rye really tastes like there's a lot more rye in there than there I was, is. I was gonna say, uh, yeah. Because that's because of all that malted barley. Um, where do you source your corn and uh, grain from? Is it from a mix of different places? or? Yes, it's a mix. So we import our own uh, malted barley from the UK. 
Uh, and then uh, the corn and the rye, we, we get uh, local if we can, uh, but definitely it's uh, from the U.S. Yes. Awesome. And this was, um, you age, how, how long do you age this as well? Uh, so this batch was uh, 19 months in 15 gallon barrels with a number three char. Uh, so equivalent to a 53 gallon barrel, that would be about three and a half years. Uh, the next batch coming out will be uh, about two and a half years uh, out of a 53-gallon barrel. We made the decision with 15 gallons, you bring it out a little quicker, uh, but we still needed to have it in the barrel for at least 18 months to get most of that oxidization done. Uh, and it's not economic, really, to use small barrels, because small barrels are literally about $20 less than the big barrels because it's the work, it's the labor that's got to go rather than material into it. So we're now all onto the big barrels. Uh, but you do need that sort of year and a half, 18 months, uh, really to get that major part of the oxidization working. And virtually all of your oak program is American? Yes. American oak? Yeah, Missouri, Missouri. wood. Missouri. Yeah, right. yeah, I really like Missouri oak. It has a, a sweeter finish to it. Uh, doesn't seem to be as bitter as some of the other uh, states' uh, woods. And uh, it's a little closer to home, so uh, we use Missouri oak whenever possible. Very cool. That's awesome. That's good. Um, yeah, fantastic stuff. I, uh, it, is, it is drier. It is drier. I noticed that. Um, definitely. But it's still, you're tasting them. Yeah, that's perfect. Yeah, that's great. You really taste the corn. Mm-hmm. So this is uh, just got double gold at the uh, San Francisco International. Okay, congratulations again. Definitely killing it out there. Um, that's a that's a fun event. It's really cool. Been there been there once or twice. Um, I've not been to the event yet. You haven't? We just enter it. Yeah. yeah. Well, that I think that and um, you know maybe you agree with me, but the San Francisco, the New York, and the beverage tasting seems to be the sort of best competitions, premium competitions, certainly in, in the US. There's a lot of competitions that can be entered, mm -hmm. maybe too many competitions, but those tend to be the best. Yeah. All right, now, <clears throat> Alistair, you're from Scotland. You have a passion for single malts. Yes. And you guys just labeled your first bottles today. Which way, those, those bottles were labeled a few hours ago. Uh, we were waiting for some of the packaging to arrive in. Okay. Uh, this is actually a big day for me because, yeah. you know, I started thinking about this about eight years ago, and then I moved to the States, and then I met Ted, and then we got this still in, and then all the issues with that, then barreling it, then uh, waiting for the packaging. So it's been a, a long, long time coming. So these were just off. We did three bottles of each, and they should be launched in Colorado, by the end of this month, very beginning of next month. So, you know, in single malt whiskey, this is not a scotch. Yes. This is an American single malt whiskey. Right. Um, it's matured in America. Uh, it's using New York barrels and it's using uh, local water here, which comes off the Arapahoe Glacier. So that is really, really important. Uh, you know, the scotch whiskey industry boast about uh, the great waters of the, the space side, the islands, the, the highlands. And I think the way that the US is going, that um, you're gonna have regions of single malt whiskey within the US. You're gonna have 
the northwest where it's snow melt, you're gonna have the northeast which is snow melt. Yeah. You're gonna have the Rocky Mountains which is snow melt. You're still gonna have Kentucky which is coming through uh, um, uh, limestone. limestone through the wells. So you're still gonna have that, but you're not going to maybe make single malt whiskey in certain, without naming certain states where the water maybe isn't as good. Right. Uh, so especially the climate here makes a big difference. Uh, we have huge swings in temperature. When you go to Scotland, it's cold during the day, during the night, and all summer, although they've just had the warmest summer in history. And also they're using- Which is still probably cold. Yeah, which is still uh, in the high 80s. Uh, and then you've got um, a, sorry, uh, uh, you're also using uh, old oak in Scotland. So what we're doing here, and what other, what other distilleries are doing, is making a very unique product that's an American single malt whiskey. And there's there's a group of, I think about 50 of us, who if you go on to americansinglemaltwhiskey.net, I think it is, uh, we are trying to convince the TTB and then ultimately the treasury to actually have this as a category. Right. So if this becomes a category, it'll be 100% malted barley because it only needs to be about 51 malted barley at the moment. It has to go, it can go in any oak, which at the moment has to go in New American oak. <clears throat> if that changes, then there's going to be, uh, they're going to be able to compete. The Americans are going to be able to compete on the world stage against the Taiwanese, against the Japanese, against who have all got those rules in place. And that's exciting because what I'm learning about America, when they start doing things, they start doing it well. So, you know, a, a few years, the Japanese did it. And now some of the best single malt whiskies come from Japan. Some of the best single malt whiskies come from uh, Tasmania, an island off Australia. So right. we are pretty excited to be able to maybe start at that point, that revolution of American single malt whiskey. That's, uh, that's there, exciting. Are there any um, organizations out there that you can jump onto and be a part of as, as far as like um, standards, like EU standards for production um, that will give their stamp of approval? For you, or other I than I haven't heard anything yet. No, but like something it, I'm that could sure be it's going to start across the board. Yeah. Um, yeah, that allows the consumer to know that you are, you know, hitting those rigorous standards. Yeah, right now the big push is just to get it classified as a style. Once we get that done, then we can start doing the little stuff like that. And then the two, the two that you're offering, you're offering well, it's virtually the, the same base, and then the second one you're peating. Yes. Peated. Um, and then those, the peat is coming from Scotland. It's already, uh, it's already uh, malted with peat. Uh, sorry, it's, the, uh, it's dried out using peat in Scotland. We can't... We yeah, did, you don't have a bonfire in the back. No, okay. no. Well, we actually <laughs> looked into peat here. Now, I know in the Northwest, you can actually get those peat fields. Really? Uh, yeah. And there are some distilleries using that. But what we've discovered here in Colorado is yes, there is peat fields, but they're at 10,000 feet. And secondly, they're protected because there's so few of them. So, you know, peat in Scotland and Ireland, you know, you want to get rid of them. There's so much of them. But here in the US, it depends where you are. I just did what, um, what, do you know where the peat comes from that is um, in this malt? So I didn't know if it would have more of a island feel or a space side or no, island you sort you, of. You tend to find in Scotland, most of the barley goes through only four companies. So 
uh, Scotland can't make enough barley for its industry. So it's uh, England and even mainland Europe. So there's four traders that buy that barley and it's a specific barley um, uh, that year's harvest. So um, last year was uh, concerto barley. So they all make it to the exact same, exact same standard. And all the whiskey distilleries in Scotland will pick one of the four main dealers or traders to actually buy their barley off. So it's absolutely almost identical in every way. So Eiley will still buy their uh, peated malted barley from the same uh, people as maybe Lowlands, not so many as Lowlands, but maybe uh, Highland whiskies buy their peated barley. It's the same. Interesting. Yeah. The added advantage is that they're, they're beside the coast, sea salt. Right. But they also use, obviously, a lot more uh, peated, a heavier phenol count of, uh, of, um, of peat than others. We have got how many phenols? About eight or nine? Uh, in the finished product, yeah, maybe six or seven. Don't sell yourself short. Uh, well, so <laughs> <laughs> the one you're tasting right now, is this, this is non-peated. Okay. So this is just our regular straight single malt whiskey. Uh, it's at 84 proof. Uh, this one was aged for two years and a uh, new barrel and uh, I think it's quite smooth and uh, can be given to any Scotsman and they'll say oh that's good scotch. Two years in a 15 gallon barrel so that equates three to four years in the larger 53. After this batch it's all 53s that come off. And are you able to um, store and age everything on site or do you have a separate Facility. Yes, so room right next door is where all of our barrels are. We've got just short of a thousand barrels. We'll have a thousand barrels by Christmas. So that's going to be really, we're going to try and stick to having a thousand barrels. That's between our, our bourbon, which is, is less, single malt whiskey, single malt whiskey peated, which again is not as much as the, the single malt, and then our barrel-aged gin. Uh, so we've got a thousand barrels stored. And those are all for just the single use, and then once Yes, single use. And then there's a huge market now, you know, you'll probably realize for beer, uh, beer uh, breweries buying them back. So we actually find it very easy to sell them. We put uh, Or winemakers that can't afford new barrels. Uh, <laughs> I haven't had any wineries. <laughs> no, yet. no, no, no. Uh, not, not so much out here, but in yeah. Northern California, okay. where we used to live. Yeah. No, we find it quite easy to sell the barrels. There's, there's queues of people wanting them once we put them. Yeah. Put them on our, our newsletter, Facebook, and normally breweries uh, looking to age there. Uh, Avery, for example, makes some phenomenal, they don't buy their bars from us, make some phenomenal barrel aged uh, stouts. Oh. Last year at the GABF, there were several beers in the barrel aged category that won gold medals that used our gin barrels. The day after, that competition, my phone was ringing off the hook because everybody wanted one of my barrels. I'm like, sorry, there aren't any for another two years. You're gonna have to wait. Yeah. That's awesome. It's cool. Yeah, that's that delicious. No, that's that is great. Nice. It's uh, the finish is a little little hot but spicy. It's oh, like. so good. Yeah, nice it's awesome. Lingering. It stays with you. It stays with you. Our still is um, designed for slightly heavier whiskies 
the line arm is uh, sloping quite quite far down, well, 11 degrees down rather than up. So you're not going to get as light. And that's the great thing about Scottish copper pot stills. You can get a still to design for almost where you want the taste to hit. Really from that light to heavy. So it was designed for a slightly heavier whiskey. So how many times would this be distilled? Well, we do a we do a, a, a strip and then we do a spirit. Okay. So just and twice. Just it's twice. tradition. Uh, yeah. Uh, if we did it three times, uh, it would be really, really light. There wouldn't be a lot of those cogeners in there. It'd be more like an Irish whiskey. Irish whiskey. Yeah. What 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 I what what Ted also does is the way Ted distills this is more focused on uh, quality and smoothness rather than yield. What you find in Scottish distilleries is that it's all about as much yield as they possibly can get. So they cut their heads and tails very, very differently to the way we cut our heads and tails. So what we end up with is not as good a yield. I just mix it. <laughs> no, it's quite as high a yield, uh, probably 10, 15% less. But uh, what we're getting is a smoothness. And we need that because there's a lot of uh, elements that if you cut it off like the Scottish, they, those are those elements that require a longer in the barrel. But we can't afford to keep it in the barrel for too long. If you keep it in the barrel too long in new oak, there is a slight danger is you can over oak that. So if we kept it in for four, five, six years, because it's new barrels, you can over oak it. And it's almost um, like licking, a, licking leather. So you don't really want to do that. So we've got to be, and then, you know, we talk to other bigger whiskey distilleries. So you're or, saying I shouldn't like licking leather. You shouldn't. Unless you like hey, whatever your fetish is, yeah. we don't judge. Depends what situation. <laughs> don't you're tell in. me what to do. <laughs> but yeah, so we 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 we're in. We we chat to the other big uh, single malt whiskey distilleries in the US, and we chat about you know barrel aging and issues and problems. And the great thing about, and I really like about this industry, is that people are willing to talk to you. So we can phone up some of the other distilleries and say, hey, how, how do you do this? What are you doing there? Are you having yeah. this problem? And it's pretty cool. No, that's that's one thing I've always noticed um, about distilleries is <clears throat> in the beer industry, you tend to get like people a little bit of competition, you know, like don't drink that beer, drink this beer. I, I was hesitant at first, like, because I like I do podcasts like two in a row. I was hesitant to tell the first distillery, like, yeah, I'm going to go over to this distillery next because I don't know if there's maybe like animosity or some, you know, some battle there. Not yet. But the, yeah, <laughs> the reality is everyone's like, oh yeah, I've gotten, I've finished a podcast at one distillery and they're like, oh, you got to go here. You got to go here. You got to go there. Uh-huh. Cool. Cause yeah. I'm going to go there. Yeah. yeah. I it's won't a, make it to this place. It's a lot like it was yeah. in the brewing world back in the nineties where yeah. everybody was holding hands and singing Kumbaya. Yeah. Uh, Good. Now it's, there's so much competition that people are looking over their shoulder going, who's behind me? Who's behind me? Right. Uh, yeah, it's really changed a lot. Well, I was, I I was a microbrewer for 18 years, uh, so I, I came from that tradition. And, and to be in this distilling world and have that tradition here as well, it really makes me happy. Yeah. Do you drink much beer now? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I still do? Okay, yeah. Good. I found, I just, it's funny because I found myself so infatuated with spirits that it's, I, uh, I'm i always drinking a different spirit like i gotta try everything now um i still have i enjoy still enjoy beers but uh-huh. i don't really uh i don't really 
pursue them as, as much as I do craft spirits and local stuff. Yeah. Um, so that's the thing. Even, you know, supporting local beers and breweries is, is ideal as well. But um, I just find myself maybe enjoying whiskey over beer. Like, just spirits. I don't know. But uh, yeah, depends, depends on your mood. Yeah. Exactly. How hot is it yeah. outside? Exactly. Yeah. exactly. It depends on your mood. So this is the uh, peated single malt. Uh-huh. Uh, like we said before, it's pretty low on the phenol content. Uh, I made it to my taste. Uh, that's my philosophy here is I make things that I want to drink. And if I like it, that means a lot of other people are going to like it as well. There, I can't please everybody. and Nobody can please everybody. If you do try to please everybody, you're probably going to please nobody. Right. Uh, so I think it's just as delicious. Very, very clean, very approachable, um, but not without character, mm-hmm. if you will. So it's not stripped or so homogenous that it's it's void. I think it still has um, brings a lot to the table, but as smooth as it can be. Yeah, yeah. this one's a lot fruitier than yeah. the regular uh, single malt. I want to see. Uh, I'm, I'm getting like cola notes or something. Maybe yeah, a maybe a little. Yeah. Um, so uh, this is a different barley variety than the, the regular single malt. Uh, regular single malt, that's the concerto. Uh, the, this uh, variety uh, is a little less plump, uh, has a lot more uh, uh, ester quality to it, especially when it ferments. Okay. Uh, we're using a, a Belgian style yeast, so that really brings out the, the fruitiness of, of everything that we make. Uh, and uh, if you add a little bit of water to this, it really blossoms. Mm-hmm. Currently, it's at 84 proof. <laughs> I do this a lot. A bit more than that. <laughs> a bit more? A few more drops? No. Yeah, I, I tend to bring it uh, down to about 60, 65 uh, proof. Okay. Uh, and and opens up that, that really opens it up. Uh, just adding a couple drops to it, yeah, you can do that. Uh, but really, you, you want to bring it down to the point where the alcohol burn is completely gone. Okay. So I know where all these were done in the um, the famous still that you brought over. Mm-hmm. Um, do we ever employ a column still here as well for the vodkas or um, to get to no the high high enough proof to consider no. the vodka? So uh, a column still, you know, if if you're an engineering geek, you love them because engineers are all about the extremes of being pure as possible, but you know, I'm in the business of making flavor. There's no flavor in vodka. Right. I don't drink vodka. I hate vodka. <laughs> uh, I don't even want to sell vodka. But right. we. I had to had persuade to. him. Yeah. To yeah. make vodka. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, it, it sells okay, uh, but you know, it's by law odorless, colorless, and tasteless. Right. If you can smell or taste your vodka, it ain't vodka. It's something like Oud or something else. Yeah. Uh, and uh, uh, the the. Best neutral spirit is made on really large column stills that have more than 100 plates, runs 24 hours a day, and it's a commodity. It's really cheap stuff. So that's what we do. We, we buy our neutral spirit. Uh, it, it's like a blank white canvas for us. And then we I can do sure, it. I wasn't sure if and you're n- taking um, your cuts from, from other products and then, you know, being able to transfer that to like distill it a few more times and then get a vodka. Now, uh, you really cannot make a vodka with a pot still. Uh, I know a lot of people are trying to do that, but uh, sorry guys, you're not making yeah, good stuff. You can't, you can't get high enough proof. No. Yeah. We're buying it in 193. 92. 
92. So it's a, as Ted says, it's a blank canvas to then add the botanicals to. Otherwise, you know, we have we actually have a couple of barrels of Jennifer gin, uh, which isn't very popular in the US. I don't think it's popular at all, even if people have heard of it. Right. Whereas in where you just were, Amsterdam, yeah. it's very popular. And we may end up trying to do some Jennifer gin on, on the still, which would be fun and interesting. Yeah. Is it commercial? Probably not, but it'll be fun and interesting. Uh, but as Ted says, blank canvas for the, uh, especially for the gin, so we can yeah. add the botanicals to it. Yeah. So, so you, you buy the vodka, but you're not happy about it. No. That's good. No. It's, okay. a, it's a necessary evil, know, unfortunately. You know, Ted it is. is. A, Ted is a creative one. Uh, we only introduced the vodka um, about a year, two years ago, and it's, it sells pretty well. Yeah. It sells pretty well. So from a commercial aspect, and you'll find, obviously, you go around, a lot of the distilleries start with their vodkas and their gins to get the cash flow. It's still 33% yeah. of the market. But we're getting to a position now in Colorado, as they're doing in, in um, Oregon, or some of the states have got a lot of um, distilleries, where the biggest liquor stores are going, enough's enough, guys. We can't put any more local vodkas on. Enough's enough. We don't want to put any more local. We've just we just entered Illinois State, for example. Yeah. And the guy said, "Your vodka is tremendous, but don't give me any more vodka. We'll take your gins and everything else, but vodka is vodka." And there's a lot of people doing it in Illinois, uh, distilling. So they're taking the local side of it, uh, which is fine. I can live with it, but it's bringing it's bringing money in. Yeah. of uh, going to Illinois, how many states are you able to find vapor distillery? Well. We always, we always knew this, that as soon as we launched the bourbon, that would start pushing into other states. And since we launched the bourbon, uh, Texas have taken us on in a big way, Illinois have taken us on, and then we're in eight other states out with that. We're focusing on the big states at the moment. We're working in California, working in Florida. Florida's a wee bit tougher as far as craft spirits are concerned. California's very tough to get a distributor, yeah. uh, um, as it was Texas. So once we uh, start packing up the single malt whiskies, we've had a, we had a lot of interest when we were selling these products, when's your bourbon coming out? The bourbon's coming out, it's opening more states. When the single malt whiskies come out, we're gonna open up more states. But we wanna do it in a controlled manner. So for example, Texas, uh, a lot of distilleries uh, may not have the background in distribution or background in how that, that works. And a lot of the big distributors are, are cautious about small yeah. distilleries. So we want to do things right. We want to be able to uh, really enter the market properly, well-funded, well-supplied. So right at the moment, Illinois, 13 million people. Uh, Texas, 28 million people. Give people, give people VD the right way. Give people VD the right okay. way. <laughs> there's, there's not many ways you can give people VD, but the, the, we want to do it the right way. Right. So yeah, that's exciting. Very nice. Um, well, I love your peated whiskey. I love the peated single malt. So uh, just, just to, just to reiterate. So the, it's uh, the malt is imported from Scotland. Yes, yes. And we are working with a malting house here in Colorado. Excellent. Um, who, but and you know, has changed over from uh, selling their their malted barley to Coors. Okay. And there's a big, big difference. Yeah. Big difference. Whereas 
single malt whiskey tends to only be five, ten percent of some of the bourbons. In Scotland, it's hundred percent. So the Europeans are way more advanced than the Americans. Yeah. At that kind of uh, that, that grain. So we're doing that. We're working with the Colorado uh, Malting House at the moment, and we're trying to say, right, okay, let's transfer over slow time. We're we're using some of their stuff, but over slow time, let's let's sort this out. And yeah. they are. They, they want to sort it out because they realize there's a huge market for malted barley if yeah. they get it right. No, the American single malt industry is there. I guess that type of spirit is definitely exploding. I was just uh, in Atlanta. I'm ready for it. <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah, me too. Yeah. Um, I was just in ASW in uh, Atlanta, and they're doing some killer single malts as well. Um, yeah. I hate to say it. This is better, though. This is great. <laughs> this is really good. Um uh sorry sw i love you guys um but uh also i guess um oh shoot i forgot what i was gonna say um so also yeah okay so malting it so the malting is a whole nother process yes. when you when you malt you know um, spirit malted rye malted all that stuff so you're talking people around here are gonna start trying to malt the barley that's grown here well there's there's a company called root shoot Okay. Which is in Burford. Um, Loveland. Loveland. And they have brought in, it's a spectacular malting uh, machine from Germany. Um, and it's, you know, fills, it fills a 20,000 square foot space. Okay. And they, they are, they were doing a lot of uh, barley, malted barley for Coors. They're moving some of their production to their, their own malting house and they're starting to malt it. And so, they probably the leading edge. The first, the, I can't remember how big uh, it is, but it's ten it's, tons per batch. Ten tons per batch, which wow. is is small, small Scottish standard, but yeah. as big as you're going to get in, in the in the US. So that is a really really interesting. There's a couple of lads who are doing it who have really um, uh, investigated the beer side of it and the malting side of it, and so they are progressing really well. Uh, but it's a fascinating visit to make. No, and that's the thing that's that's fun because I know, uh, I mean, as a as a distiller, you kind of want to have your hand in everything, right? I mean, mm-hmm. I know I did. I was an amateur distiller with this gentleman. We were just kind of boot, not bootlegging, but moonshiners, yeah. I guess, whatever. We were making stuff in our backyard, having fun, and I was hooked. That's when I was like, okay, local distillers, I got to check every single one out. I got to get into these places and. Uh, here I am, but uh, I, I went to the point where I was even like toasting my own wood. Like I wanted to have a, a you know, put my fingerprint on everything. Now yeah. that's not the case for some distillers. Some distillers are like they'd rather you know have everything else done, and then all they have to worry about is the distillation. Mm-hmm. Like for example, when I was in Amsterdam, uh, Fanny von Weiss of uh, von Weiss Distillery, mm-hmm. she doesn't even ferment. She buys the ferment and then she just distills. And I just think that's interesting. Well, you got to look at it from the point of view of, are you an expert at everything? Right. Are you just okay at everything? Yeah. So it's best to use the experts. Yeah. Uh, let them do what they do and yeah. do it really well. Exactly. And then take those incredibly high quality ingredients and use those in your process and then do it as well as you can. Yeah. Uh, if, if you're just okay at malting and okay at coopering yeah. and okay at this and mm-hmm. okay at that 
it's going to just it. taste okay. <laughs> it's just going to taste okay. Well, I mean, some of the Stranahan's, for example, started off bringing their own wash in. Yeah. Um, there's some great stories. There's a Welsh, I can't remember the name, single malt whiskey, and also the first, the first Welsh one, the first English one, they did the same. They didn't, the, the, the wash was what they wanted to buy in, and then they distilled it because yeah. they were good at distilling, but they weren't great at the, 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 the brewing side of it. Uh, so that's how they started off. Yeah. Uh, we want a hand in as much as we possibly can, but there's a limit to what we can do. Yeah. And as Ted said, you know, put out to the experts. A lot of the Scottish distilleries are moving away from uh, malting their own uh, products as well. Yeah. Uh, they bring it all in. Used to have the floor malts. Almost none of the Scottish 108 distilleries have got maybe five or six of them do it themselves. They see it more as a tourist attraction. It's the same as even the old wooden uh, ma um, fermenters. Uh, they're moving away and putting them in stainless steel because wooden fermenters creates problems. You can have two, you can have bacteria. You know, you're, you're you're cleaning them. You might miss some. So they're moving towards stainless steel. And they're, what they're finding is they're getting that level of consistency. So what we want to do is get consistency. We're not a Johnny Walker, so you can taste the same product in. Timbuktu and yeah. Denver, it's going to be the same. They use gas spectrometers to see what barrels they want to do. We've got the authenticity and we're doing batches. Our one batch will taste slightly different from the next batch. But if we were doing all those processes, maybe the difference would be wider. And we're trying to have a consistent consistent taste to what we're doing. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I mean, you have a brewing background, Ted. So, I mean, that's awesome. So there it is right there. You can... You trust yourself with the fermentation. Yes. I cannot ferment anything. I ah. suck at that stuff. Um, that's where this guy came in. Whenever we play in our garage and make some stuff. But uh, he's, yeah, as a winemaker, Joe. But well, Ted says to me, yeah. you can make a distiller of a brewer, but it's diff difficult to make a brewer of a distiller. Absolutely. I mean, the, I think. I agree. Yeah. <laughs> I think more of the craft is, is in the fermentation myself as well. You know, I mean, there is yeah. lots of, there's lots of, you know, stuff you need to pay attention to with yeah. distilling. Well, a lot of people think, Oh, I got a bad batch of beer. I'll just distill it. Mm -hmm. No, it's good in great out. Yeah. Bad in horrible out. Yeah. Yeah. You can't make bad booze into better booze. Right. It just doesn't work. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> well, on that note, you guys made some great booze. Um, not going to lie. Um, so when is uh, when did the when did the single malts hit the shelves? Well, this is unfortunately, our, well, fortunately, our European label because we're starting exporting to the UK in the next two months. Okay. Uh, an interesting fact about you know single malt whiskies is that a lot of the single malt whiskey guys who've started up have actually ended up exporting over half their products. Wow. Because the rest of the world are quite how can I say it knowledgeable knowledgeable about single malt whiskies. So when they see something different uh, on the shelves that are more than the 108 or 109 single malt whiskey, whiskies, they, they notice it. So they're pulling it off the shelves. Bourbons are so many bourbons and you don't know maybe, you know, the mash bills of them. They know the mash bills of single malt whiskey. So um, we're hoping to have, we've just signed off in those, these labels, European ones, so we can get them out to Europe. Uh, but hopefully the 1st of August, our distributor will have it in this state uh, we will be able to say i have to travel across the pond to go <laughs> buy the whiskey from boulder so uh, i'll gonna, do it though it's, it's we're, good we're going to have it we're going to have it with our distributor uh, republic national in colorado uh, by the, the first that's the 
that's the aim. It was delayed from 1st of July to 1st of August, uh, but I think, yeah, yeah. we, we want to make it, we want to have it right. And then beginning of next year, the uh, uh, port barrel finish will oh, be coming yeah. out. Oh, okay. Uh, that's awesome. So that's the the non-peated version, aged in uh, some uh, port barrels. In fact, right Appreciate there, it. yep. Uh, we only have five barrels of it, so there's not going to be a lot of it. Uh, but uh, when these barrels came in, oh, they tasted good. There was port nice. sloshing around them, nice. which is it's tough in the U.S. because you need right. to know the history of the barrels. So we've got a good uh, chap who gets them for us, and uh, we know the history of the barrel, which is really really important. Uh, because it can dry out if it's sitting in a port for port, boom boom. <laughs> if it starts sitting in a port for six weeks, you know it'll dry out. Scotland's got the advantage; it's it's only uh, Portugal, so Portugal they can literally look at the ports, the the barrels going into the container, and then meet it by the time it's up. So they've got an advantage. We don't have that advantage, but hopefully these port barrels are going to be spectacular. That's my personal. Sherry or port finished single malt Excellent. Okay. I know distribution laws in Colorado can somewhat be a little tricky to navigate through, but um, or as far as shipping to other states and whatnot. But is there is there a website that the listener can go to to either purchase directly or find more information on how to get vapor distillery in their hands? Um, oh, what's it called? Uh, Thornton. Um, Total beverage. Total Thornton. beverage in Thornton. Total Beverage and Thornton uh, are probably one of the foremost in Colorado that have got um, licenses in almost every state. So you can purchase it in, in, uh, through their website and they'll deliver it to California, to Illinois, to the states that we're not in at the moment. Now, unfortunately that's expensive. So what we're trying to do is push out to get as many distributors as we can so it's available in those states. And we're hoping uh, to be in probably half the states by this time next year. So we'll wait and see. And if you've got a favorite online retailer that you use, ask them. Say, I want this. Give it to me now. Right. And then they will look for it. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Excellent. Well, gentlemen, that was 55 minutes. See? Wow. It's a time suck. It's yeah. awesome. Well, uh, cheers. Cheers. But uh, any shout outs? What time is your, does your guys' tasting room open? Uh, it's open it's right open. now. It's open now, but it's okay. So it tasting room is open. Four o'clock uh, to nine o'clock during the week. Okay. Uh, weekends, uh, three to nine. Uh, although we do stay open as late as 11 if the place is hopping. Very so cool. If you got a bunch of friends and you're having yeah. a good time, we'll stay open. And awesome. what's the address? Uh, 5311 Western Avenue, Suite 180. Uh, zip code is 80301. Boulder, Colorado. We're only a couple of miles from the center of town. Right on. Perfect. Well, come to, come on down here. Come to Vapor Distillery and drink some single malts. And really, everything's fantastic. But anyway, uh, cheers again, guys. That was fun. Uh, thanks very that much. That was fun. Cheers. 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 Clank. Wasn't that a lovely podcast? Ted and Alistair are fantastic gentlemen and they were quite the hosts i had some fun there and uh if you're in the boulder area check them out they're open brought to you again by comida mexican restaurants there's two one in denver one in aurora go there eat some authentic mexican street food started with a food truck yeah and what do you guys think of joe he's quite the toolbox isn't he but he is my friend 
Next week's episode, I am at Golden Moon Distillery in Golden, Colorado. And I might even uh, tell you a little bit more about my bachelor party. I don't know. I haven't decided yet. Anywho, I love you all, each and every one of you. Until next time.